Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Also, they talk about one of the most important things in the fiery furnace. Which is don't poop in the fiery furnace. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Because it will be there forever. Forever. Right. Yes. Yeah. And um, they also sold there some very nifty little poop to go bags, which they encouraged everyone to buy for a couple bucks. We did. We still have them. Do they ever expire? It's been in there for a couple years. Have you used it? You think I've been carrying around a bag of poop in my backpack for three years? <laughs> I don't know. It seals up pretty tight. <laughs> This is the Dear Bob and Sue podcast, stories from our journey to all the U.S. national parks and other public lands. I'm Matt Smith. And I'm Karen Smith. We are the authors of the Dear Bob and Sue series of books. On today's episode, we're sharing our top 10 favorite things to do in Utah's spectacular Arches National Park. When you visit the park, you might not have enough time to see all 2,000 arches, so we'll narrow down some of the options for you. We'll also discuss the park's new reservation system, the best times of the year to visit, and some lodging options close to the park. Everything you could ever want to know about arches, coming up next. Okay, I'm going to pass out any moment now. Are you okay? You don't look so good. Well, I feel like I'm going to die fewer times per hour today than yesterday. Oh, so that's an improvement. We have been sick for, um, gosh, has it been two months now? Ever since Thanksgiving, however long ago that was. I don't know if it's new colds we're catching or it's just the same one, but this has got to end soon. I know. The good news is I found an old thermometer up in the medicine cabinet, and I, by the way, was that by chance a rectal thermometer? <laughs> we're not. <laughs> That's a word we don't use on our podcast. <laughs> it's one of the forbidden words. Can you refer to your list of forbidden words? We're not talking about rectal thermometers. I think right. it's actually, we haven't used a thermometer in so long. I think it's the one we bought when we had a dog. Oh, like God. <laughs> well, I 20 put, years ago. I put it in my mouth. Mm. So That's I, not where it goes. No. The good news is um, I don't have a fever, so I have reported to work. We are tired of being sick. I think we need to go someplace warm, like to the desert, someplace that has sun and do some hiking. Oh, yeah. I am uh, ready. Maybe yeah. uh, maybe someplace like Arches National Park. Yeah, we could go to Arches. It's, sometimes it's beautiful there in the winter. <laughs> I've heard that it's really nice. Yeah. Are we done talking about rectal thermometers? <laughs> Can we please move on to the subject at hand? I only have so many minutes left before I'm going to pass out. <laughs> okay. You think you've got about 30 minutes in you? Maybe, maybe. Okay. All right. Today we are talking about one of my favorite parks, Arches National Park in Utah. It is one of my favorite parks too, Karen. You know what I love about it? No, I have no idea what you love well, about it. Well, one of the many Tell things. Tell me, please. Arches has 
2,000 arches scattered throughout the park, and that's what most people go to see. But I think even if you took away all of the arches, it's still such a spectacular place because it has pinnacles and fins and balanced rocks and and towers and spires. It is such a gorgeous park. It is an incredible landscape. So an arch is a hole in a rock or a hole in a cliff or rock wall Mm -hmm. that's all the way through and at least three feet in diameter. Is that how Arches decides whether it can be qualified as an arch or is that a worldwide measurement? That is what the ranger who led us through Fiery Furnace told us one day. Okay. So... She right. could have completely made that up. And there's there's a lot of holes that are smaller than three feet. But anyway, there's 2,000 that are three feet in width. Now, we mentioned in last week's episode, when we were talking about all of the national parks that will require a reservation in 2022, that Arches has now started a new supposedly temporary um, reservation system. It's kind of a on a trial basis. So what that means is if you're traveling to the park between April 3rd and October 3rd, 2022, you're going to need a timed reservation. Yeah, this is a literally a brand new program. It just started this week. And and there's some details you need to know about this because you don't want to drive halfway across the country and go to the entrance station and they'll say, can can I see your entry ticket, please? But you'll have to take your seven screaming children back to the motel. And, and, <laughs> and maybe hang out at the pool. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Because you're not getting into the park. <laughs> the park's closed. <laughs> the, the moose out front should have told you, sir. So what was happening, the reason they started this is because the visitor numbers to Arches have exploded. I believe they're getting more than one and a half million visitors a year. And so for all of you who've been there, you know that you access the entrance to the park right off the highway there, just north of Moab, and there would be so many cars waiting to get in and such a backup that it would come out into the highway. And and when the park was considered full, they would put out a closed sign and say, you know, come back in four hours or come back tomorrow. So it was getting very, very frustrating for everybody involved, the rangers, the visitors, everybody. It's like going to your favorite donut shop and and seeing them put out the sign, no more donuts. Maybe not that bad, but it's pretty bad. So they started this. We'll see what happens. I mean, I think it's a good idea. I know a lot of people have mixed opinions about it. So this reservation system starts on April 3rd. Now, if you're visiting from April 3rd through the rest of April, the tickets are already available on recreation.gov. They went up for grabs on January 3rd for the entire rest of the month of April, the 3rd through the 30th. So jump on and get them if you're going in April. If you're going in May, the tickets will go up on February 1st, and they'll go up March 1st for June, and so on. So very, very important. Yes, those are some of the details. You can go on the uh, Arches website, and they have all of these details. So there's... There will be plenty of information there. One thing to note that we did see on the website is that if you have a reservation to camp in the park, if you have a reservation for Fiery Furnace, which we're going to talk about, then you do not need to get a timed entry to get in. That's pretty sweet. So if you have a three-day reservation in the campground, like you can come in and out. Yeah. Because you're essentially living there for three days. That's right. They have to let you in and out. Mm -hmm. All right, great. So let's uh, let's just dig into our top 10 things to do in Arches. Wait, 
you forgot History Channel. Was, <laughs> you you did that on purpose, didn't you? <laughs> I was trying to go as fast as I could past the History Channel bullet point on the outline. Oh, Matt, you should know by now. You can never, never get away from History Channel. So, Karen, tell us a little bit about the history of the park. This is going to be very brief. I should say, first of all, that as in a lot of these parks, probably all of our parks, you know, human history goes back centuries. And in Arches, human history goes back at least 10,000 years. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Are we going to do the (laughs) 10,000 year version? No, I'm getting to that. (laughs) Since we're trying to keep this podcast less than seven hours, I'm just going to talk about the park history, which is um, pretty brief. So back in April of 1929, President Herbert Hoover signed a proclamation establishing Arches National Monument. And then in November of 1938, President Franklin Roosevelt signed a proclamation enlarging Arches National Monument. It went from its original 4,500 acres to almost 34,000 acres. And then in November of 1971, President Richard Nixon signed a law that changed Arches from a national monument to a national park. And it set its size at the present 73,000 acres. Now, even though Arches became a national monument in 1929, it was very slow to develop any infrastructure at all. So the very first National Park Service building in the park was just a 12 by 14 foot structure, and it was built near Double Arch. And this served as like a visitor contact station. And this was constructed in 1939. And what's interesting to me is for all of you who've been there and you know that, you know, the big entrance is located on the south side of the park, just north of Moab. Well, back then, the entrance was located on the west side of the park and visitors had to enter on a dirt road. So the first real building actually designed and and constructed as a visitor center opened in 1960, and it had some exhibits and restrooms. But this building was designed to accommodate an annual visitation of 60,000 people. And now, of course, as we said, Arches sees more than a million and a half, so they knew they had to build a new visitor center. So back in August of 2005, the current visitor center opened it to the public. And that's a real building also. That is a real building. Building. <laughs> yeah, but I think what's really interesting about that to me is I would have loved to have seen it back in the, you know, like in the 1950s when you just went in on a dirt road and there was nobody there. And although I, I guess a lot of the things we're going to talk about, you wouldn't be able to access back then because there were no roads to some of these places we're going to talk about. You can still enter and exit the park on that road, Willow Flats. But it's not paved, and the park warns that it's, you know, it's impassable after a heavy rain. Yeah, I saw on the map, too, they have a big warning about sand. Apparently, people also get stuck in sand. So if you're going to go in or out on Willow Flats, just make sure you have a, you know, a four-wheel drive vehicle that can, can get you there safely. Or go with somebody else who can pull you out. That's right. All right. So we have a top 10 list to go over today. And it's not in the order of our favorite is number one and then, you know, so on and so forth. Honestly, this is a park. This is one of the few parks where I would recommend you do everything you can do in the park. Yes. There's nothing in the park that I would say, oh, yeah, just just skip that. Now, 
if you're limited on time, you, you might have to visit the park several times to do it all. But all 10 of them are my favorite things to do in the park. Right. And also, if you're limited on mobility, there might be a couple of these hikes that you're not comfortable doing. But Arches is great because it has something for everyone. It has great things for kids to do and pretty much anyone of every age. But let's talk about one of the things that anybody can do is drive that beautiful scenic drive. Right. Number one is drive the scenic drive. It's about 22 miles from the park entrance in the south. It's about a 22-mile road, so if you go all the way out and back, it's about 45 miles to do the whole thing. If you have not been to Arches before, this scenic drive is the main park road. There are a few spurs off of this, for instance, to get you to Delicate Arch and to get you to Tower Arch that we're going to talk about. But this is the main road, and this is where most of the points of interest are located. And it's a spectacular drive in and of itself. Mm -hmm. So, uh, number one, drive the, the scenic drive. Number two is... To go to the Devil's Garden area and hike the Devil's Garden and Primitive Loop Trail. Uh, now, you don't have to do the whole thing. A lot of people go to the Devil's Garden area and they hike just to the first major arch, which is Landscape Arch, and then, then turn around. But it's the entire area has a lot of spectacular viewpoints. And this is one of our favorite hikes, really, ever, of all time. Right. So even if there weren't these cool arches to see along the way, we would still love this hike. Now, to get there, it's at the back of the park. Mm -hmm. So it is at, essentially at the end of the scenic drive. Good-sized parking lot that does get crowded. It fills up by midday. So our advice would be if you want to go back and see this area, get there early or possibly go late. And one of the great things about this hike is even though the park's crowded and there are a lot of people who start down this trail, if you go far enough along the trail, you're eventually going to be all by yourself. The first mile to Landscape Arch, it's going to be crowded. There's going to be a lot of people mm -hmm. generally, mm -hmm. but you keep going and it gets less crowded, less crowded, and, and you'll have plenty of time to kind of be by yourself. Right. Now, most people want to go see Landscape Arch, which is one of the world's longest stone spans. It stretches 306 feet across, and it's only 11 feet thick at its center. So if you're just going to see Landscape Arch, the, the trail to there is hard packed. It's a pretty easy hike. And like you said, it's about a mile to Landscape Arch. And then, of course, it would be a mile back. So a lot of people do this, and that's all they do. And right past that, now it does get a little bit more difficult. Mm -hmm. I would say this entire loop is moderately strenuous. There's a, there's a couple of sketchy parts where if you're afraid of heights, you've got to you got to be careful. <laughs> yeah, because there are two different areas that have these fins that you have to walk across, and they have steep drop-offs on both sides. Now, the fin itself is fairly wide. I figure if I can do it, and I, I hate steep drop-offs, then most people could probably do it. But we have encountered a few people along that who panicked. You had to help who a couple of people. Out. More than once. Actually, I can remember twice having to hold somebody's hand mm. and walk them off the fin. Two different visits. Yes. Uh, so people get up there and then they freak out. Mm -hmm. Also, we, we got up there one time and it was very windy. Yeah. And so you're kind of having to lean into the wind and hope the wind doesn't stop all of a sudden because then you're going to go off the edge. Anyway, I know we're describing it as being more scary than it 
really <laughs> is. But uh, yeah, you, there's a couple spots where you need to be careful. Yeah. Now, if you do the entire loop, it's 7.9 miles and it says it's a thousand feet of elevation gain. So when you're going straight out, you get to about double O arch and then you will come across a sign that says primitive trail. You are entering a wilderness a, a area, wilderness or area yeah. and, and that's where the primitive trail starts. We talked on a, on a different podcast episode about that we didn't think the Primitive Trail was that difficult. And then we had a, an email from one of our ranger friends, Sarah. She's a ranger at a different park in Utah. And she said, stop telling people that it's not difficult. She said, we have to send search and rescue out there all the time to save people. So, And she was, you know, she was laughing. She comments all the time on our episodes. But but there is a grain of truth to that. So what we thought was pretty doable, you know, other people maybe have struggled with. Yeah. And on any of these trails, if you get to a point where you're nervous and it's beyond your level of comfort, you can always turn around sure, right, and, and go back. Absolutely. But on the way to Landscape Arch, if that's all you want to do, the mile out and back, you can also see Tunnel Arch and Pine Tree Arch. If you do the whole loop, there are what, seven arches, I believe? There's seven named big arches, but there's other incredible rock formations the whole the whole way. Yes. There's fins and slot canyons and uh, yeah, it's the whole thing's cool. I would say if you're an experienced hiker and you don't mind rock scrambling and maybe being on a few exposed areas, you will be fine. If those things bother you, then just hike out to Landscape Arch and back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Okay, so that's number two. Number three, and again, not in any particular order, is to go over to the Delicate Arch area and hike to Delicate Arch. That's an easier hike than the whole Devil's Garden Primitive Loop. Yes, it's definitely easier. And it's also definitely the most popular hike in the park. And for good reason, because if you've seen photos of Delicate Arch, what it used to be on the Utah license plate, it was on the license plate. So Mm -hmm. you probably have seen it. It's it's an amazing site and it's very popular. So the parking lot fills up early and uh, it stays crowded all day. Now, we don't know how this timed entry reservation system is going to affect the crowds, but I would think that it's still going to be pretty crowded. Yeah, I would think so too. So our tip on that is get there early, maybe go later, but I'm not sure you can avoid the crowds on this hike. The trailhead parking lot, it's about 12 and a half miles from the entrance, but a mile past that parking lot There are two additional areas that you can get a view of Delicate Arch. If you don't want to hike all the way to the arch, there's an upper and lower viewpoint at that further parking lot. The lower is a flat 50-yard trail, and it's even wheelchair accessible. And then the upper viewpoint is a half-mile, moderately strenuous trail. 
That's right. So you have those two viewpoint areas, and then you have the main delicate arch trailhead, which takes you all the way to the base of the arch. And the parking lot for that is called Wolf Ranch. This is a trail that we would recommend. Don't get so excited and just head off down the trail because there's a couple of interesting things right at the trailhead. Mm Mm-hmm. First of all, just adjacent to the parking lot is the Wolf Ranch Ruins. It gives you a sense of what it was like when people tried to homestead this area. And and this cabin was built by Mr. Wolf (laughs) in 1906. And he tried to raise cattle in the area with his son. And that's where the Wolf family lived until 1910. And then eventually the property was sold to the U.S. government for inclusion into the Arches National Monument. Are you uh, doing your own History Channel there, Matt? Maybe trying to upstage me? I had done some research a while back on the wolf experience. Uh Uh He he came there and homesteaded. It was pretty pretty amazing. Yeah, I think it's fascinating. Definitely worth a stop at the wolf ranch there. And also along the trail to Delicate Arch, pretty close to the very beginning, are some petroglyphs. Tiny little spur trail that you turn off, and then you go and you see some very, very cool petroglyphs. They are. I think they're one of the clearest examples of petroglyphs in, in the Southwest. Those petroglyphs were carved sometime between 1650 and 1850 by the Ute Native Americans. Very special to see. When you're back on the trail to Delicate Arch, which, by the way, isn't so much a trail as it is a series of cairns, 3.2 miles round trip, and about 700 feet of elevation gain. And it seems like most of that elevation comes right at the beginning, right? You're walking up all that slick rock. Yeah, it does. But not a strenuous hike. No, but again, as you round a corner before you can see the arch, this would be towards the end, there is an exposed area with some drop-offs. So if you have little kids or... You know, you've got people who aren't comfortable with that. You just need to know that there is there is kind of a little sketchy drop-off area. And it can be difficult to navigate that section when there's lots of people on the trail hiking in both directions. That's for sure. Yeah. So one thing you'll see when you round the corner and all of a sudden the arch comes into view is you will also see several hundred people. <laughs> you'll see a crowd of people. Wonder where, where did all these people come from? That's right. So what's going on there, at least every time we've been there, is people line up in a very orderly line, or so we've seen, and they wait their turn to stand under the arch so they can have their photo taken. But this creates a problem for all the other people who are standing around trying to get a photo of the arch without anyone in it. Yeah, my recommendation if you're going to hike to Delicate Arch and you want to get a photo is learn Photoshop. That's true. You can do that. Because you're going to have people... In your photo, holding their crotch under the... I don't know why people think that holding their crotch (laughs) while standing under delicate arch is is either interesting that they want to have a picture of themselves doing this or original. Okay, it's been done a million times. (laughs) Okay, instead of Photoshop, here's another suggestion, which is what I did. I, I politely asked the line to hold up for a minute and pause and let everyone else snap a photo of the arch with no one under it. You know, like, give us 60 seconds. And they did. And we got a beautiful photo of the arch with no one holding their crotch. Did you say politely? (laughs) Because I I was there when you did this. And we have witnesses. John and Lolly were with us. And John and I were kind of off to the side of the trail looking somewhere else. And we hear, off into the distance, somebody yell at the top of her voice, Hey, people! 
You want to back away from the arch? No, no, that is not how. That's did, not. Did you how not yell? Okay, I did say people. You I, said hey people. I, I said hey people, and you want to back away? No, I said could you please give us oh, a minute? Yeah. <laughs> this is where the story <laughs> to take a photo with from no reality. One uh-huh. And everyone was agreeable, and they did, and then. As soon as that happened, you could hear like 5,000 clicking of everyone's cameras going up because everyone's waiting for a chance to take a photo with nobody in it. Anyway, we just wanted to explain what you're likely to encounter. Uh, We've had a lot of people tell us that they've run into people sitting under the arch eating their lunch. So it can be frustrating. Just, Just know this ahead of time. In all seriousness, though, if you go very early in the morning, you might catch it where there's fewer people and also... Uh, We'll talk about this a little bit later. If you're there like off season, particularly in the winter and you catch a nice weather day and you're hiking out there, you're probably not going to have too many people there. Right. And so there are times that it's probably less crowded. Mm -hmm. In my wish bucket would be to see Delicate Arch in the snow. Wouldn't that be beautiful? Yeah, that that would be. Yeah. One word of caution too, though, and I was just looking at this on the website, is that you're climbing up Slick Rock, and it's called Slick Rock for a reason. Uh, if you go in the winter, it can be very slippery. And in November of 2019, a couple who was at the arch slipped and fell into that huge bowl that sits below the arch, yep. and tragically, they died. So just note that if you do go in the winter, um, it can be extremely slick. Yeah, and you, you have to be careful. In the national parks, on any of the trails, right? I mean, it's Mm -hmm. like we've said this a million times. It's not Disneyland. There's not guardrails everywhere. You got to be careful. Mm -hmm. Definitely one of the must-sees in the park, though, even with the crowds. All right, moving on to number four. Is hike Park Avenue. Park Avenue. That's kind of a sleeper. A lot of people don't stop there. I love Park Avenue. It's usually the first thing we do. If we're traveling and we just get to the Moab area late in the afternoon, and we only have like an hour. We always go and we hike Park Avenue. It's kind of a warm-up. Yeah, it's very easy. It's what, um, well, if you went out and back, it's 1.8 miles, and it drops about 300 feet. And and there are no arches along this trail, but you're walking through the courthouse towers. I don't know. You call it a valley, uh, and you kind of walk through those for a while. And then at the end of the trail or the north end of the trail, it kind of opens up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's, it's it's just a beautiful hike. It's good warm up. It is. You can be dropped off at Park Avenue, hike one way, and then get picked up at the other end because there is a parking area there. I don't know how many people do that. We just hike down and back up. Yeah, I, I don't know that it's worth doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole thing round trip is, like you said, it's one one 1.8 miles out and then back. Just word of caution, that 300 feet drop and many places there, it's stairs. You got to come back up those. Right. We did it once at around five o'clock during golden hour. And it was one of the most beautiful little hikes we've ever done. The lighting was so pretty there. So highly recommend Park Avenue. Okay, on to number five. Now, number five is another easy thing to do in the park and very popular is to go and see Balanced Rock. And that's about nine miles from the entrance 
of the park. But you can see it right along the, the scenic drive. You can see it uh, on your approach. It's an incredible sight from certain angles. It's it's hard to believe that the rock is, is balanced there. I mean, the, the rock that's balancing is, I don't know, the size of maybe a small house. Yes, it is pretty spectacular. There is a parking area there, so you can park and get out and walk around the balanced rock and uh, take 5,000 photos like I did, and none of which really came out. But yeah, it's very cool to see. It is kind of a hard thing to photograph well. Mm-hmm. Especially uh, from the base, maybe from far away. I don't know. It didn't work for us, but it's definitely something you want to see. Next on our list, number six would be Fiery Furnace, which is an amazing section of the park. So it's called Fiery Furnace, not because it's super hot in there. It's not more hot in there than any other part of the park. Matter of fact, it's it's probably cooler in the summer because there's a lot of shade. It's called Fiery Furnace because at sunset, the way the sun hits this area, it lights up all the red rocks and it kind of looks like a a fiery landscape. So that's where it gets its name. Now, we did an entire podcast episode on it early on. It's it's episode number three, where we go into great detail about the entire um, hike and what it involves, but we'll just briefly go over it. It has changed in the last few years, partly due to COVID. Uh, We went on a ranger-led tour, and then we did a self-guided tour. Now, they are only letting people do Mm self-guided. And that's I I would assume that's a temporary thing. It seems like a lot of ranger-led tours throughout the parks have been canceled due to COVID. So hopefully, they'll be bringing this one back. If you were to just look up this trail on All Trails or any other app, right, you would see that it just doesn't look that hard or impressive. It's only 1.7 mile loop, which which surprised me. I looked that up after we had done it a couple times, and, and it only has like 400 feet elevation gain. But it seems literally like three times as long. Well, that's because we got lost in there like a half a dozen times and we had to keep backtracking. We were taking dead ends. It is a giant maze, basically. And I don't know if we've already said this, but you do have to have a permit to go into the fiery furnace. You can't just stop at the parking lot and go in. And that's what available again on recreation.gov. Right. So permits may be reserved up to seven days in advance and must be reserved at least two days prior to the trip date. And then when you show up to the park, uh, to the visitor center to pick up your permit, they're going to have you sit through a video and a little chat from the ranger. And everyone who goes on the hike has to be present. So you can't send a representative from your group to get uh, all the tickets and one person walks the video. Everyone has to watch the video. Right. And it's great because, first of all, they tell you how to maneuver your way through some clues that will help you get through the maze. They also tell you things about staying on the trail and why it's bad to step on the cryptobiotic soil. Also, they talk about one of the most important things in the fiery furnace. Which is don't poop in the fiery furnace. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Because it will be there forever. Forever. Yes. Yeah. And um, they also sold there some very nifty little poop to go bags, which they encouraged everyone to buy for a couple bucks. We did. We still have them. Do they ever expire? It's been in there for a couple years. Have you used it? You think I've been carrying around a bag of poop in my backpack for three years? (laughs) I don't know. It seals up pretty tight. Okay, well, I can I can tell you for absolute certainty that 
I have not used the poop bag. It is still sealed up in, in its packaging that it came in. So thank you. Thank you for that. In all seriousness, this is something that I carry in my pack all the time because you never know. You might not ever need it. They call them wag bags. I mean, that's the generic name. But uh, yeah. to have something to go in to pack it out because literally if you go in some of these sensitive areas, it could be there forever. Absolutely. Now, if you are interested in going on this hike, which we absolutely loved, just one thing to note, you do need a little bit of agility because not only is there some rock scrambling, but there is some, what do you call it when we straddled the rocks? I think it's called high stemming, but we call it crab walking or in some cases, butt scooting. Mm, a lot of that. Sideways scooch. I mean, you just, th- yeah. th- there's awkward spots. Right. There's a section of the trail where it's too narrow to put your feet. So you literally have to sort of climb up and crab walk along the wall. Not terribly difficult in a very short section, but you do need some some agility to, to do that. Yeah. Now, the park uh, used to not have anything in the fiery furnace that directed people on how to get through. Uh, Since there are more people doing self-guided, they've placed a few, and I mean a few, small arrows on the rocks in key places to kind of guide you through it. And when I say small, these are maybe three-inch arrows, and they're... They're, they're hard to find. They are. It's like a treasure hunt trying is, to find the arrow. It is a treasure hunt. But the whole thing is so much fun. One of the things I loved about it is, for me especially, it made me feel like a kid again. You're hunting for these clues of where to go, and we're getting lost, and we're scrambling. And the scenery in there is absolutely beautiful. Some little slots and these huge rock slabs. So for us, it was one of the highlights of the park for sure. Yeah, I'd like to do it again. So would I. We were in Arches last March, and we were hoping to do it again. But because of COVID, they had closed all access to Fiery Furnace. And then they reopened the self-guided tour sometime after that. So if you're interested, uh, get on the park website, get on recreation.gov and check those out. Yeah, and they do check the permits. We, we ran into a ranger, and I asked her. She was sitting at the parking lot checking permits. I said, but you can't sit here all day. Like, do people go in here without permits? She said, well, they do. But, you know, this is one of the... This is one of the rangers' favorite places to hike on their off days. Mm. And she said, pretty much if you're going to hike the Fiery Furnace, one of the strangers you run across on the trail is going to be a ranger on their off day hiking. You know, you have to have the permit attached to your backpack, and and, and they will check. Right. And the other thing, too, is they give you a parking pass uh, along with your permit that you put in your car to park in that parking lot. So they can take a glance at the cars, see who has that pass and who doesn't. And it's obvious, you know, whether or not you have a permit. It's also good because at the end of the day, when it's getting dark, if your car is still sitting there with your with your parking pass there, they also know you haven't come out of the fire. They, they know who to go in and, and rescue. Right. That gave me a lot of comfort when we were in there getting lost. All right. Number seven on our list is to go to the windows area and check out the arches by the windows area. And also, this is a great place to see the sunset. Yeah, so there are three arches there you'll want to look at. There's turret arch and the north and south window arches. And there's a trail that you can hike to all of them. It's about 1.2 miles, uh, very minimal elevation gain. Yeah, you, you can do all three of those arches. And it's a great place where you can kind of 
just explore. Yes. I love that turret arch. We went up and through it as the sun was setting, and then we went out the backside of it, and there are more fins you can walk along. So we, we hung out there for quite a while, one visit during sunset. It was absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Now, this is related to our number eight, which is go to Double Arch. And you can get to Double Arch from this same parking lot, the Windows area parking lot. It's just off to kind of the opposite direction of the Windows area. Mm -hmm. Double Arch is about a half mile out and back from the parking area. And it was, as I remember, it was a very flat trail. So that's also another good place to watch the sunset. And you can kind of scramble up and get right, sit right underneath the arch. I tried to do that. While you were taking photos, I tried to scramble up. The problem is the getting up part isn't difficult. But as I got halfway up and I looked back down, it's the getting down part that looked sketchy. So I didn't go up all the way. But it's very cool to see this double arch. Now, not to be confused with double O arch, which is along that Devil's Garden Trail. Right. Two different arches. That, that's right. This is double arch and worth a visit for sure. Okay, on to number nine. Number nine is to go up and see Sand Dune Arch, which is up by the Devil's Garden area. It's just mm-hmm. south of the campground. So you got Devil's Garden kind of trail, and then you have the campground right south of that. And then you have this little loop of trails. One of the arches there is Sand Dune Arch. We went to check it out, and there were a ton of families there with their little kids because it's very sandy. And they actually had, like, buckets, little sand pails and sand shovels, and there were kids everywhere digging in the sand. So if you're going with your kids, definitely check out Sand Dune Arch. And if you're not going with your kids, it's pretty cool to see, too. It's it's a very easy hike to get to Sand Dune Arch. Little legs could get there very easily. Right. It's like going to the beach. It's only like a quarter mile to get to Sand Dune Arch, mm-hmm. but but it is on a loop trail that if you do the whole loop, it's 2.8 miles and, and not much elevation gain, like 300 feet of elevation gain. And you see other, there are other arches to see along that loop. All right. And number 10, our last item is to hike to um, an arch that's not as well known. And this is Tower Arch. And just because we put it number 10, it's not because it's our least favorite. It, it's a cool thing. you you got to go see Tower Arch for a couple of reasons. One is it gets you back into another area of the park that you, you normally wouldn't see. It's a spur road that's off of the main scenic road. Right. You drive almost to the Devil's Garden area. So you drive 16.5 miles from the entrance. And then at that point, then you turn left to, onto Salt Valley Road. And now that road is gravel. And when we drove it, it was perfectly fine. But the park does warn, don't try to do that road if it has been raining or it's raining and the road's wet because it can get treacherous. Mm -hmm. So the hike to Tower Arch is 2.4 miles out and back. It has about 600 feet elevation gain. I do remember that the first part of the hike, we went straight up about 200 feet and then down another 300 feet. And then there was another section where we were, I was struggling to hike a little bit uphill in the sand. There was some deep sand there, which yeah. is not my favorite. <laughs> I like it when you're on a trail that you go up and then you go right back down. Yes. So it feels mm-hmm. like it was wasted effort to go up in the first place. And then 
on this particular trail, like you said, it feels like hiking up a sand dune. Mm-hmm. But but it's worth it. It's it's a beautiful area. The arch itself is spectacular once you get back there. I also love the rock formation called the Marching Men, those huge rock fins that were standing in a row that looked like men marching along. That was cool. Yeah, and you can find those on the park map. They show where the Marching Men are. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's an that's interesting view on your way to the arch. Yeah. We only saw three or four people the day we did it, but it's probably more popular by now. That was a few years ago. We should note, too, that... Not that you could climb on top of Tower Arch, but there is no climbing on any arch in Arches National Park. So that is our top 10 list, but there's a lot more to see and do in the park. If you've been to Arches, you might have a different list of favorites than we do. Yeah, so many incredible things to see there. All right, Karen, when is the best time to visit this park? Definitely weather-wise, it would be spring and fall because summer, it can be very hot And winter, you know, winter can be great, too, but it can also be cold. It can snow. Uh, So, you know, pretty typical spring and fall, I think, are best. Yeah, I want to go there. Like like you said, you want to see delicate arch in the snow. I want to go there in the winter. And if you catch a good weather day in the winter, I, I would imagine it's spectacular. Yes. Because when the sun's out and the temperatures are mild, it's going to feel like a spring day. Mm-hmm. The crowds will be down. You might see some snow on some of the arches. So anyway, we'll, we'll have to try to catch that. Right. And if you're going between October 3rd and April 3rd, you don't need a timed reservation. So, you, you know, you can be more spontaneous. Hey, let's go to Arches National Park. So how many days do you think you should allocate for Arches National Park? Well, it kind of depends. I don't know that we mentioned this, but to do fiery furnace, you need to allocate at least a half day. That's about what what it took us. I think that's pretty reasonable. So if you're going to do if you're going to do all 10 things we talked about, I would say you would need two to three days. Yeah. And of course, if you have the luxury of knowing you're going to visit the park more than once, right, several times over the next few years, whatever, then you can kind of spread it out a little bit. Now, there's so many other great things to do in this Moab area that that's kind of what we did. We would go to Moab and we would do arches for a day and then Canyonlands for a day or maybe Dead Horse Point State Park. And then over the course of many visits, we saw all these things. Right. Yes. You don't have to try to see every single thing we talked about in your first visit. Also, that's a good point, Matt. If you cannot get reservations for two consecutive days, you could split up your visit and see some of the other cool things in the area and then maybe do arches, you know, split up between your your first day there and your fourth day there or whatever. Yeah, there's no shortage of outdoor activities in the Moab area. Right. One thing we should also mention, if you have not been to arches before, there is no food available in the park or at the visitor center except maybe for some snack items. So if you're going to go for the day, which, you know, now with your timed entry, that's what you would be doing, definitely take a lot of food. There are water stations at the visitor center. You can fill up all your water bottles, uh, but you might need extra water and definitely food for lunch, maybe food for dinner if you're going to stay through, you know, through nine o'clock. That's right. We talked about that in our park planning episode. Always know where your next meal is coming from. (laughs) Very, very important. So where to stay? This park is a, just a few miles from the town of Moab. Uh, Moab has plenty of accommodations. Kind of every chain motel is mm-hmm. there. We've stayed at probably every one of them. They're, yeah. they're all fine. Our, our motel of choice right now is uh, Comfort Suites. 
lots of hotels, lots of restaurants. Uh, we love Moab just because there's so much to do there. There's outfitter stores. There's a few art galleries. So it's a fun little town. Yeah, we we did a VRBO one time when we were coming through. Just a word of caution. If just remember, like it's going to be warm in the summer. And if the house you rent doesn't have air conditioning, then that could be an issue. <laughs> <laughs> the house we rented, we literally walked in. It was 100 degrees inside. We called the, the woman who owns the house. Oh, no, there's no air conditioning. There is a swamp cooler. And she wanted to give us directions on how to work that. And we said, don't need the directions bye bye. for the swamp cooler. <laughs> now, the swamp coolers do work pretty well. But we had just done a hike in 103 degree temperature. Yes. And we needed... Uh, we needed some air conditioning. Old-fashioned air conditioning. <laughs> right. Now, some people that we know have also stayed in an under-canvas near Moab. That's the glamping. Under-canvas is the name of the company. Right. And they've had, they have those at, at many national parks. Mm-hmm. And, they're, and they're great. We've visited uh, the facilities before. We actually visited the facility in the Black Hills. They do it well. Sure. So that's an option. For less glamorous camping, there is a campground inside the park, the Devil's Garden Campground. And that's the only campground in the park. And from March 1st to October 31st, you need a reservation. And you can get those on recreation.gov. I think the rest of the season, it's first come, first serve. So that pretty much wraps up Arches. You know, a few weeks ago, we did an episode on Bryce Canyon. And in the next month or so, we'll do one on Capitol Reef and Canyonlands and and Zion as well, because we know that a lot of people head to Utah on spring break. So we will have those uh, those coming up. And all of these national parks in Utah have a different feel, different special destinations. So you got to see them all. Absolutely. And like 20 other things in southern Utah. That's one of the great things about the Utah parks is they each have their own unique flavor and they're special in their own ways. So it's a different experience no matter which park you go to. That's right. so much for joining us today. If you've been enjoying our podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you left a five-star rating or review on Apple Podcasts. And now you can also leave a rating on Spotify as well. As soon as we get rid of these colds, we'll be hitting the road again, heading somewhere warm, I hope. For updates and photos, be sure to follow us on social media. On Instagram, we're Matt and Karen Smith. On Twitter, we're Matt and Karen. And on Facebook, we're Dear Bob and S. And now it says on the outline, Matt, it says, wing it, <laughs> which means just spontaneously insert something in here. Spontaneously uh-huh. insert? Uh-huh. I don't know. I'm, I'm starting to lose consciousness over here. <laughs> okay. So I guess that's it for today. That, that is, this is it. If you want any more episodes out of me, I need a, I need a break. All right. Let's go. I'll get you some Advil and I'll get you that rectal thermometer. Ah.